Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Systematically Wild. I'm Rob Panier from the Minor League Sports Report, and Systematically Wild is a program that comes to you each week, providing you with insights, analysis, information, and recaps related to teams in the Minnesota Wild organization, including the NHL Club, the Minnesota Wild, the AHL team, the Iowa Wild, and the ECHL team, the Iowa Heartlanders. This week, I am honored to welcome to the show the Kalamazoo Wings broadcaster, who was with me last year, Chris Cadeau. He will talk to us a little bit about the contest on Friday night between uh, the Heartlanders and the Wings. Kevin Luco then comes to join me to talk to us about a little bit about what's been going on in the organization and what he expects this weekend. So let's first of all start with Chris Cadeau. Well, let me welcome back to the show Chris Cadeau. Chris, uh, the exciting broadcaster for the Kalamazoo Wings. How are things going for you these days, sir? I mean, they're spectacular. It's a sweater. I mean, it's sweater weather, and, and we're ready to rock. So things in Kalamazoo are super positive, and a lot of things happening in the offseason and all trending in the direction that you hope will lead you to a Kelly Cup. Well, the Iowa Heartlanders traveled this Friday to take on Kalamazoo. Um, last year was your first year with the team. So give us kind of an idea of where you think the team was at Kalamazoo was at last year at the end of the season and how they progressed to this year. You know, bad taste in our mouths, uh, if you will. Um, as far as the team goes, and I'm going to refrain from using R because I'm a part of the team, but I'm not on the team. But the aspect that you have, you have, the recruiting in the offseason, you go into it, and I think everybody dealt with the, uh, the COVID call-ups. Uh, you know, instead of going to two separate teams, three separate teams, you have players going to five or six different teams that fill NHL taxi squads. Um, so really getting through the fact that you have a goaltender like Jack Greaves, who's probably going to see the NHL with the Columbus Blue Jackets this season, uh, who's really setting a tone in the beginning of the season. Then you got to bring in, you know, a backup, a career backup goaltender who really found his own uh, towards the end of the season. You know, leads the league in saves, um, second in wins, but number one in losses. So you experience February, what we call, what I call the downturn, where you lose seven games in a row, and then you you really have to build yourself back. They had started off the season very well, so when you lose seven games in a row, you're floating down to 500. You have teams like Iowa, who was surging at that point, coming up to 500. Teams like Wheeling, that was surging off of 500. Uh, and then everything settled down, and there came down to the last two weeks and how you played down the stretch. And uh, unfortunately, the Kalamazoo Wings were not able to, to win the needed games in order to get into the playoffs. That said, head coach Nick Bootland was coming into a contract year. Him and Joel Martin, they did not take any time off after the season ended. They immediately went to the lab. They developed their plan, and it was to get bigger, faster, and stronger and, and surround them with skilled players. Um, and that's exactly what they did in the offseason. Uh, then you have Nick getting the phone call to go up to the AHL to be an assistant coach with the Hershey Bears. Um, and then history is made. We hire our first uh, head coach of color and Joel Martin, who's been with the organization for over 14 years. Um, and you just don't miss a beat. Um, players are excited. Uh, the locker room, despite starting off 0-2, uh, it's, it's a very tight-knit locker room already um, and a lot of positivity all the way around. You know, that's interesting because you think a change like that so close to the season or, you know, early on in the season could have a dramatic impact on the team. You know, it's not your team, so to speak, you know, when you're the coach in that situation. How do you feel that they're adjusting at this point? I think everybody is just excited. I think they understand the magnitude of, of what this is uh, for, for Joel Martin. I, I mean, and, and then there's no added pressure. Uh, Joel and Nick walked hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, Nick Bootlin did not do anything or have a lot of com important conversations without including Joel in them. His, his buy-in into the system, uh, the way that they worked in tandem, um, every player who had had a conversation with Nick had already had a conversation with Joel, and that's just how they rolled. So when they come into camp, of course, everybody's excited to play for, for Nick Bootland, but then now it's, now it's Marty, and, and we just want to go out and run through walls for him. Um, and then you, you add 
to the equation, uh, an assistant coach of the caliber of, of Cole Schultz, who coming from Stockton in the AHL, and uh, you know, helping to lead that team as a video coach uh, to their first ever conference title. Um, it just everything shaped into a, a very positive narrative where there wasn't the questions of, you know, what type of coach is Marty? Um, you have enough returning players, fourteen of them uh, coming back. Guys like Anthony Collins resigning. Uh, you add Brandon Sajan, Shaw Boomhauer, and, and we talked about getting bigger, faster, and stronger. Um, and you add two of the baddest men in the ECHL as, as enforcers around these skilled players, uh, and especially a guy like Brandon Sajan, who hasn't had a healthy camp in two years coming to this organization healthy. Um, he was a very dominant player in his junior days. If you look at his numbers, you're like, this guy's on his way to the NHL. He's motivated to do it. Returners like Max Schumitz, you get Eric Bradford signed to an AHL deal. He's back with us already. Uh, our MVP last year, Logan Lambin, the rookie of the year for the Calvin New Wings, led the team in goal scoring. Um, I just think that the mentality is that we have gotten, we have improved, um, and we're ready to go show it on the ice. That was a core group of guys that are returning from last season and additions looking to improve speed and skill level. From what you've seen this point, I understand you're only a couple games into the season. From what you've seen, how how many games do you feel like this team needs to really blend that group together to get the right kind of chemistry to get themselves on a roll to become a Kelly Cup champion? I mean, that's a really, uh, I mean, it's a fluid question. I, I definitely don't think you can start 0-6, right? You can't, you can't come out the gate and just be trying to find it and questioning um, just your team mentality and, and if you really have it. Um, I think in order for this team to be a playoff team, they need to be above, they need to be above 37 wins. Um, I can tell, tell you that if you look back, and Nick Bootland's recruiting record in the 14 seasons that he was here, um, in the in the three seasons that he had missed the playoffs, he had always came back with 45 win plus seasons. Um, and my assessment uh, of this team is that they're a very intelligent group. Obviously, you, you got to assess that as, as, game, as the wear and tear of the season continues on them, how they react to adversity and all these things. But a small sample size of what we've seen thus far is you have the first preseason game against Toledo. Uh, they come into Wings Event Center, and uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, they beat the brakes off of us. Uh, you had a strong first period, and then, you know, the legs were gone. But that was very intentional from the coaching staff. Uh, Joel Martin had absolutely put the screws to them in practice um, the day before, uh, and uh, in pregame in pregame skate, uh, he wanted to see what they did in adversity and, and what adjustments need to be made. So then he goes and he coaches them up, and then we walk into Toledo the very next night and watching in front of my eyes. You know, didn't have to broadcast the game, sitting in the booth and just scouting and watching. These young men took everything that was projected in those rooms as far as areas of improvement, and then they applied it to the ice, and they come out with a big preseason win. Now, that doesn't matter. You go into the first game of the season, you get a team that had in Indy that came off a huge win against Fort Wayne, and you come up, you go up one to nothing, and then four straight power play goals. Then, um, you know, Joe lifts uh, Trevor Gorsuch uh, for the moment. A lot of that that happened, you know, when you have four power play goals, you can't really put it on the goaltender, uh, but just needed a momentum swing. In comes the rookie Hunter Borba, SBHL goaltender of the year last year for Huntsville, settles the game down. Team plays strong down the stretch. Uh, definitely looked like the better team in the latter half. Uh, of that hockey game um, and cut the lead to two goals twice, and then you just got to build off of it. Then they go into to play in Cincinnati, who's being dubbed by all the journalists as, you know, the top or one of the top teams in the Central. Um, and it's no score to over halfway through the second period. Um, they tie the game up, uh, tie the game up, and then go on the power play and give up a, a controversial shorthanded goal. Um, controversial in the aspect that you know you come down and player goes behind the net, centers it out in front. Goal uh, Hunter Borba, who played outstanding in that game, 
Um, you know, he squeezes it five holes sitting on top of it, lifts his body, and falls down across the red line about four seconds after it's in his pad. So maybe you have a whistle, maybe you don't, maybe you have a challenge. The truth is you have to make plays during the game to ensure that it doesn't come down to one play like that. And I, this team understands it. So for them to understand that they can play with what is, you know, dubbed as initially one of the better squads in the central and make the adjustments that they did and then skate to a two to one game at a 10 30 a.m start um i think it bodes well going into the weekend and heartlanders fans are going to get to see some exciting players from kalamazoo this week who are some guys they should be watching out there on flow hockey yeah absolutely um matheson acapelli absolutely red hot out of the gate uh you know he had two power play goals in, the, in that first game to see his stick, you know, the former Blackhawks draft pick, to see his stick starting out going already. Matheson uh, is just the X factor. Get him the puck and let him do it. Raymond Bryce, he had a goal. He's there, our north and south guy. Uh, Colin Sockerman, uh, excuse me, Sackerman, uh, he was a rookie last year. Nothing but heart out of that guy. He played seven or eight games after getting a lower body injury in November on uh, something that needed surgery uh, before he was pulled in December. He's coming back. Great individual effort last night or yesterday to be able to, to will that, uh, that goal by Raymond Bryce. Uh, Logan Lambden is netted one in that first game our rookie of the year as i talked before uh, absolutely amazing but there's some rookies out there that you know you're really looking to to make an impact danny daniel D'Amico is a forward uh that came out of windsor uh top top point getter in in his league then you look at um Nychuk. chad Nychuk was sent down uh from abbotsford to us uh, he led the whl for goals for a defenseman with 21 last year. Um, absolute rocket of a shot. Uh, really knows how to play. Uh, you know, reminds me, um, you know, you don't want to make strong comparisons, but if you're looking at offensive defenseman, uh, somebody who's not afraid to step up uh, to make offensive plays like a Paul Coffey, um, you know, things like that. Yet these rookies all have things that they need to develop. Uh, Eric Bradford is uh, always the uh, another X factor. Is just being that that gritty, sound, uh, you know, veteran out there. Uh, Olivier LeBlanc sent down from uh, from Cleveland. His game has evolved in the off season, and just watching him as a defenseman, really, you know, making open ice hits, uh, doing his thing. And then I think you know you have to, you can't forget about Justin Taylor. And Justin Murray, Justin Taylor, all-time K-wing, three goals shy, uh, becoming the K-wing's all-time goal scorer, sitting at 237, uh, and then 17 points away from the all-time points getter. 11 power play goals last season. It's only a matter of time, you know, only two games in before his presence is really known. And Justin Murray, named team captain this year, uh, last but not least, honestly. Uh, talking to Joel Martin when when that decision was made is that. This young man represents everything that he's looking to embody on and off the ice, never takes a shift off, never, you never see him, you know, being a drill buster in practice. He's always the one that's, that's grinding it out and doing the little things, and you see it in this play. Last season's defenseman, defenseman of the year for the K-Wings, um, and he's just improved uh, every time he comes out. Uh, you know, former star in juniors, uh, you know, then heads over to Worcester, and then we get him after his rookie season. And it just, it's really exciting. I could go up and down the roster and really talk about positives. Mason McCarty, another rookie coming out. Um, it's just who's going to be the one to step up. Max Schumitz, uh, you know, just uh, he's, he stands out to me as the guy who just came into camp angry. And not angry that he's with this team in Kalamazoo, but very, very intensely focused on moving to the next level. Uh, and that's the type of players that we want. And then you look at the people who are protective. Shaw Boomhauer is not going to take anything from anybody. Anthony Collins, quite frankly, um, I don't know why you would drop the gloves with Anthony, um, but he's the guy that literally last season at the end of the year, you would have a player take it off the boards and then said player who came in and made the hit would look at, you know, another player and be like, tell Anthony that that, that, that wasn't malicious and I didn't mean anything by it. So if you're getting 
if you're getting apologies to other players and not to your face, you know that um, you know that the bench is going to be there to take care of business in the long run. And I'm just excited for this team to, to see the results on the ice. Now, this is just a, a meat grinder of a division. You know, you have Toledo that was one of the top teams in the ECHL last season. Four of these teams could easily compete for the Kelly Cup. So tell me, what, what does Kalamazoo need to do this year to be champions? Kalamazoo absolutely needs to improve every night out. Um, they are, have proven that, Joe Martin has proven that if, if there is a player that is going to make this team better, it does not matter if you are contracted or not. You are, especially if we're talking about training camp, your job, you have to earn it. Uh, great point is, you know, what just transpired uh, within the last hour. Uh, Manitoba Moose, uh, they send us Evan Cormier, big-time goaltender, uh, who was drafted by the New Jersey Devils. Um, you have Trevor Gorsuch, who uh, is, you know, was a, a great story last year for us to be able to step up and, and to put together and to put us, quite frankly, in position after losing Jack Graves. And Trevor's gone uh, because of that send-down. Uh, so if for the Kalamazoo Wings to be competitive, they need to match up each and every night. They need to be gritty, and they have to understand that their role players, um, and, and this is what's preached in the room, is that their role players uh, are just as important as, uh, as the scores. If you, if you get into the nitty-gritty, it's the simple things that, that come down with hockey. You have to be able to control the momentum swings. You have to be able to know that no matter what the score is, that we've been here before. Zone retrievals, uh, zone exits, making the smart passes, and really focusing on improving in every in every aspect of the game is going to be the difference uh, in in how they really make that ascent and and really make that charge towards first you know taking the division and then uh, competing in the playoffs. Well, Chris, let's talk about this a little bit. Halloween coming on Monday night. I'm sure you guys will have a Halloween night there in the, uh, for a home game during the weekend there. Craziest costume you ever see, saw somebody wear to a game and one you were looking at going, what is this person wearing? Oh, man. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, let's see. Um, I've, I think the craziest costume I've seen ever at a game is when you get the heavier set guy that, that shows up dressed like Baby Huey um, with, with the binky and all and the diaper um, and nothing but the diaper and tennis shoes, uh, that and, and the, little, the little brim hat. Um, I think that's the one that, that stands out the most to me. And give us your favorite candy at Halloween, most overrated candy. Uh, favorite candy of Halloween has to be uh, Kit Kat. I can't go wrong. That's the one that, that I'm going into my daughter's, uh, her pillowcase, or her whatever, her pumpkin, jack-o'-lantern, collect, candy collector, and, and making sure that dad stashes a few of them. With her being six, she's not really on top of, of, of what's happening as it gets older. I think it'll be a little more contentious because she is a little me in every aspect. <laughs> um, and then the most overrated has to be candy corn, 100%. I, I really I don't understand how people gravitate towards that flavor profile, um, the wax in your mouth, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, apologies to, to anybody, uh, unforgivingly apologies, actually, uh, to anybody who's a fan of candy corn. <laughs> Chris Goodell, thanks for joining me. Yeah, I mean, I think the last the last thing I want to say is that I'm really excited to 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 match up against the Iowa Heartlanders. Last season, uh, nothing but a first class organization. Uh, David Fine is uh, it has been absolutely pivotal in my transition coming to the ECHL. The wonderful broadcaster for the Heartlanders. His future is so bright and. I really just gravitate to, to every piece of advice and, and things that, that he has has for me and the Heartlanders in general and their organization and just how they go and they have not 
really taken this stance that we're an expansion team and we're going to let the chips fall. They go and they get it every night out. And I can tell you that last season, uh, as we went down the stretch, um, you know, the, the loss in Iowa uh, when we were up and they came back and won it uh, in the latter parts of the game, that was probably the most gut-wrenching loss of the season, uh, and I am just so excited for the competitive nature of, of what this developing rivalry is going to be. That's fantastic. Chris Cadell, thanks for joining me on the show this week. Thank you, sir. You have a great afternoon. Appreciate you. I want to thank Chris Cadell for joining me. Now let's turn to Kevin Luco. Well, let me welcome back Kevin Luco here on Systematically Wild. Kevin, uh, <laughs> a no better way to say this, but I guess a very tough week throughout the Minnesota Wild system here for all three teams. I would uh, define it as good news for people that like bad news. <laughs> well, that is a very gentle and kind-hearted way to put it out there. Uh, last week when we began, we'll start with the big club, Kevin, because last week when we were recording the show, the Colorado Avalanche were finish, finishing off a 6-3 victory over Minnesota at home. Then the Wild wound up beating Vancouver in overtime on Thursday night before falling at Boston on Saturday, finishing the week with, you know, with, with three points out of six. Um, what, before kind of going through each of these games, let's just hear your thoughts on overall where you're believing the team is at at this point. It's, uh, it's tough to get a read on this club. I thought they played very well in the game against Colorado, but I think we're finding out why the the backup goalie was a backup goalie in Ottawa. It just to me there was um, a few pretty shaky goals and going into the Vancouver game, Vancouver has not won a game all year, but yet the it took the wild winning and having to come back in the third period, then winning in overtime to defeat a pretty demoralized Vancouver club right now. But I think um, you try to pull some positives from the game in Saturday in Boston in that they did come back from the deficit to tie and get a point out of Boston, which is a tough place to try to win at. But... In overtime, you take two two different penalties, and eventually it's going to bite you in the rear, and that's what it did, and prevented the Wild from getting to a shootout and a chance to get a, another point. So far, Kevin, we're looking at Marc-Andre Fleury has um, started four of the five games for this club, has not looked very good for them right now, and they, you know, they went out and got him, believing he was the, re the way that they were going to get to the Stanley Cup championship last year. They fall short of that by by a long way. They get rid of Cam Talbot in the off season. Early season regrets about making the moves as they made him so far. Well, in uh, reading Michael Russo's um, story today on the state of the wild, uh, the story on Philly right now is that. They don't believe that they got him enough work during the preseason. And the games he was in wasn't against other teams' um, best squads, so he wasn't facing a lot of shots or high-quality shots. And in hindsight, they would have got him into more games. Uh, Fleury saved their hides in Boston. Uh, had a very good second and third period and just was left out to hang in overtime. So you hope that maybe just getting the work in is going to be enough to get Fleury going and get him on track to the kind of goalie that we remember. Well, let's quickly go through the week here, Kevin. On Monday night, fall behind 2-1 to one against Colorado at home, uh, coming out of the first period. It's just a game where it looked like they were having a lot of trouble kind of getting some momentum going for themselves. Every time they pulled themselves back, they, they gave up an early goal, then wound up getting it back to tie the score come out of the second period, are able to tie up that game. Then all of a sudden, a, a, a couple of goals by Colorado, um, one early in the third period, seemed to give the Avalanche a decided edge in this contest, and, and Minnesota was not able to battle back against that. But as you said, I, I thought they played pretty well in this contest. 
Colorado, you know, defending Stanley Cup champions, and they just they went out and won this game instead of Minnesota just not playing very well. I thought it was a good effort from the Wild, but like I said, the the goaltending and defense let them down, and it was just a you can't just continually have to chase the game. You can't continually fall behind and have to play catch up. It's so imperative in this league to get off to a good start and get a good lead and build on it. And they just have not been able to do that. Very interesting game for special teams, Kevin, because they come away with two power play goals, but then give up a power play goal late and a shorthanded goal. Um, you know, I mean, you want your special teams to obviously be top-notch, and this club had a, a very difficult time with their power play a couple seasons ago. Looked looked a little bit better last year, but, you know, I'm I, 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 looking at the positive. I, I'm happy about how the power play has looked so far early on in the season, and maybe this can be a strength for this club. Oh, that would be nice, and it seems like the weakness right now is the, the team's not scoring five-on-five. And that's just the opposite of what um, the story was last year, where the Wild were very good five on five, but the Wild play, Wild play, the power play just didn't produce like they expected. The penalty kill still needs to work. It seems like they're making a lot of the mistakes that they made last year, not getting pucks out of the zone when they have a chance, trying to be a little too cute with it, or making a trying to make a quick play when they have chance to have a chance to make the smart play and get the puck out of the zone. So you hope that's something that they are working on and can get shored up. As you said on Thursday night, the club falls behind three to two against Vancouver, a Dakota Joshua goal in the second gives Vancouver the edge. Again, the, the club is trailing two to one until Sam Steele scores to tie the game just a minute left in the, in the first period but Dakota Joshua gives them the lead for Vancouver again. But Matt Zuccarello with a big power play goal at 8:31 forces overtime, where Karel Kaprizov gets the game winner 3:02 into overtime. His fourth goal of the season, uh, second two goals on the night for Zuccarello, who's off to a very good start for this team. You know, we talked about scoring might be down, and who was going to wind up kind of filling the gap. That first line for this club is really firing in all cylinders right now. Well, the wings are with um, Kaprizov and Zuccarello, but it seems like we're going through a lot of guys playing in the middle. Um, and Matt Hartman's off to a horrible start. They tried Freddie Gaudreau there. I didn't think that worked out well, but it sounds like once again they are going to try him up the middle. I wish um, they had a little more faith in Marco Rossi and would just give him a chance to play between those two guys and see what they can do. So I think Rossi is probably the best playmaking center that they have on the roster right now. But and again, back and talking about the game, um, big game by Zuccarello getting the two goals and perfect positioning on the game tying goal to get the tip in goal to tie it up on the game winner. I, boy, I mean, Kaprizov was dead tired. <laughs> he was, um, out on the three-on-three, it was going to be a four-on-three delayed penalty, and Kaprizov just kept banging away at the puck, and I don't know, it looked like a couple of Vancouver defenders got just totally mixed up on the play, and Kaprizov had a yawning net to shoot at, no trouble, and um, everyone went home happy. He probably just wanted to get off the ice, thinking, man, i got to get a goal or I'm tired. Please go in. But, you know, that's, you know, it seemed like a little bit of a tired celebration. He didn't seem really relieved and excited. You know, it's one of those things, too, Kevin, that when you're struggling a little bit early on in the season, you're looking to your big play guys to come up with a something that gets the season going for you. And, and I look at that as one of those kind of pivotal goals where you go on this and you go, here's a guy who's tired having to stay out for an extra line, first of all, help to set up the tying goal to get you into this game in the first place and ensure you even had a chance at overtime, then delivering the game winner when he's a bit gassed. I, I, that's something that can kind of get your team expired, I would think. Inspired, I should say. You would hope so. And, and you know, it's my concern that 
We're seeing guys like Matt Dumba now in his 10th season. Jonas Brodeen is probably in his 8th or ninth season. Jared Spurgeon's probably closing in on his 10th, 11th season. And you just start to wonder if these guys that you've counted on on the blue line for so many years, if if age is starting to catch up with them a little bit and they're just a step slower and the game's just getting a little too quick for them at times. I hope that's not the case, but so far it seems to be, and it's just not a not an encouraging sign. But like you said, uh, maybe a little spark from the offense will um, put some life into the defense. On Saturday, they travel out to Boston, take a one nothing lead. Brandon Duhame, uh, the former Iowa Wild player, with his first goal of the season, scoring shorthanded. Then Boston retaliates with three unanswered goals to wind up taking a 3-1 to lead. Again, we're looking back on the situation all week long, Kevin. They wind up falling behind early in games, 3-1 uh, to here in Boston, but showed a lot of heart. Matt Boldy with a power play goal, uh, the former Iowa Wild player as well, get, getting on the board there to make it a one-goal game. Then Jared Spurgeon with his first goal of the season with a little under five minutes left in the contest to force overtime. Great battle back. You know, I, I thought uh, the team showed a lot of heart battling back in this game against the Bruins. Yeah, for Matt Bodie, it's uh, three goals in two games back home in Boston. So you must, must like that home cooking. But you draw the positives out of it. They did come back from a 3-1 lead against a uber-talented um, Boston Bruins team. So you did get that point, but like I had mentioned before, it's just uh, the penalties and overtime. It's just it's one thing to get them in the game, but boy, four when you're playing three on three and then you have to kill a penalty four on three, it's just so much tougher to defend than a five on four. And you get Boston enough time, eventually they're going to cash in, and that's exactly what happened as Taylor Hall met as the game winner. Yeah, 449 to overtime winds up giving them the victory. Zuccarello with a huge week for this club, comes up with two assists in this contest. Uh, as a guy who's just on fire, 10 points to the first five games for this club. And, you know, I thought of him as a, as a guy you can count on for some offensive production. He looks like he's on pace for a phenomenal year, a 115-point season potentially for this guy. In hindsight, it's pretty humorous that a lot of us win when uh, Paul Fenton, the beleaguered wild general manager at the time, went and signed Zuccarello as a free agent, a lot of us were like, where does this guy fit into this team? <laughs> but boy, I by I would say more actions than anything, when Kirill Kaprizov made it to the U.S. and those two got paired together, boy, it's just been, it's been chemistry like we've never seen in the history of this franchise. Well, let's jump down to the AHL club, Kevin, and uh, jump down, we mean down. <laughs> um, the Iowa Wild have another tough weekend here at home against the Texas Stars, a team they have not traditionally done very well against. And Matt Murray, who was uh, the cause of their demise last year as they were trying to make a playoff run, comes away with a 2 nothing shutout in the opener. Murray's just a young guy, Kevin, but, boy, he sure is impressed early on in his career. And that's... Uh... That's saying something when he's your well, your Friday night starter. I don't know how often Murray is playing, but you got to establish NHL goalie with Anton Hudobin playing under him in with the Texas Stars right now. So, and like you said, Murray is fresh out of college, and the Dallas Stars organization have, have got to feel good about their goaltending situation with Ottinger at the NHL level playing very well. And now you got Matt Murray, who's made a good showing of himself as a pro. And you might be setting goaltending for quite a few years. Absolutely. So he was in uh, 10, six games, excuse me, last year for this club. Had a shutout against the Iowa Wild late in the year that was took both those games in Iowa of, of that series, including the shutout, won a two-to-one game in the other contest, and really set the stage for a, a, a huge Texas star rise that got them back into the playoff picture and, and helped them to get that final playoff spot. This year they come up with a 2 nothing victory. Uh, Murray stops 
all 24 shots that he faced in this contest. He's going to have to move back here. 24 shots that he faced. Texas gets a goal from Riley Barber on the second on the power play at 947. That proved to be all the goal scoring they needed. They did add a, a, a second period, a third period tally, excuse me, as well. Uh, Zane McIntyre p- played very well in this game, though. Kevin stopped 30 of 32 shots. Just got no offensive support in the contest. Iowa remains winless in games in which they do not score a goal. <laughs> I've heard that's a problem out there somewhere. Uh, McIntyre got, had a tough start in his first outing of the year, Kevin. We thought that he would be, you know, what we saw, saw last year was really the standard that we expected for this year. He looked very good in this game. I, you know, if there was any concern coming out of that first contest that maybe he was going to be a little bit off this year, I, I think he answered that question right away. I think he may have also had the same issue that Mark andre Fleury had in which he didn't play a lot in training camp. And I think in the two exhibition games they played against Rockford, I think him and Volstead split duties there. So I think maybe with with um, McIntyre, it's just a matter of getting some game action in and getting his legs under him. In the second game of the series, uh, the Wild jump out to a 2 nothing lead, um, get early goals uh, 50 seconds into the game by Nick Sweeney, who comes up with his second goal of the season. Nice setup to get, get them going. Looked like they were going to really build some momentum. Sammy Walker scores just before the seven-minute mark. Feeling pretty good about where the Wild were getting. I'm, I'll be honest with you, Kevin. I'm watching that game thinking, man, this could be the game that they get that first victory of the season. And looked like they were going to come away with it early on. It looked good, and I know the pregame talk with Tim Army was that these guys have to not be afraid to get in positions in which to score. And I think we saw that. I think Swain's goal was was from in front of the net. Um, Walker's, I believe, was on a breakaway. But I think that is key for this young Iowa team that you can't be you're gonna you, you know you're gonna take your licks in front of the net. But you you got to block that out and be able to stay at the task on hand, which is obviously scoring. I think it's a positive sign for Sammy Walker, a guy that um, was a Tampa Bay property that uh, they passed on. That he is he now has two goals in four games, so encouraging sign there. Yeah, making the most of his start in the professional career out there. So look, looking pretty good. Texas battles back, though, Kevin, a goal in each of the next three three periods, 9-23. Uh, ben Gleason scores to make this one-goal game. They add a goal with about 91 seconds left in the second to tie the score. Then Raleigh Barber comes up with his third goal of the season less than a minute into this into the third period. And you're thinking, man, Texas is a, a – they just – somehow or another, the Stars always figure out a way to battle back against the Wild. But – Last year, Kevin, the big deal was the Wild giving up those goals in the final minutes of periods or, or in the game and allowing teams to get back in a, into a contest and then win an overtime or, or come away with the victory out of it somehow or another. Today, or this time on Saturday, it's Adam Beckman scoring his first goal of the season with 54 seconds left. And you're thinking, man, that was a, <laughs> was a much-needed goal for this Wild club to at least get a point out of this contest. And I think much needed for Adam Beckman, too. Uh, the, the guy has scored on every level in which he has played hockey. And then the second half of last season and the start this season, he has struggled to get on scoring sheets. So I thought that was big for him to get a goal and hopefully have something to build on. Texas scores the only goal in the shootout to come away with a 4-3 to victory. That puts the Wild at 0-2-2. Two, and two through the first four games of the season, uh, all at home. And I think of any, I, I'm not really that concerned, Kevin, about a, a tough start for a season. It, it, it's a long year. What I am concerned about is, is coming away with, you know, no wins out of four games at home. Is that any reason to be concerned even early on in the year? I don't think so. I think it's a, it's a very young hockey club that's still searching for its identity. And I think it was, possibly a detriment that they had to play their first four games at home. Sometimes you rather play those on the road and find your identity on the road, get a chance to bond with your teammates, and then come back home and get some home games in. 
This Saturday and Sunday, the team heads to Manitoba for two afternoon affairs, both at 2 o'clock. Manitoba has been a team that they have done well against over the last few years, but these have been some very exciting games, some very high-scoring games we've seen over the last couple of seasons in particular. Um, it, it's a club that they they need to, you know, you're going to be battling for playoff position against this kind of team. So we're, we're, what are you kind of looking at in these series? What do you expect out of them? Uh, well, I think what you're looking at, you're looking at uh, Iowa to find their find their goal scoring and find a way to get a lead and hold on to it. Obviously, that sounds pretty basic, but I think it's going to be good for them to get on the road, and I think you'll see a pretty spirited effort from the Wild. I think you're talking about a big point there, Kevin. Seven goals through the first four games. Let's keep in mind, two of those games went to overtime. So uh, a little, almost, what are we talking about, uh, 12 and a half periods. You've come away with seven tallies at this point. Uh, the, I guess when I'm looking through this roster, Kevin, I'm wondering if there is some significant scoring touch out there because a lot of their better goal scorers wound up going up to the big club. And it didn't seem like they went out and got those sort of uh, veterans that are guys that you know are not going to make it on the big club but will be the guys that can get 20 to 30 goals in the AHL. I'm curious to see what a guy like a Ty Ronning will do. Uh, Fogarty, I believe, has some experience in the AHL. So you keep you hope that there's guys like Fogarty or Ronning that will step up and be a 25-30 goal scorer because you lost a lot of you. Like you mentioned, guys that went up to the big club, um, Jerry Mayhew, once again, not around. And I think they lost an, another big um, part of their team identity with um, Kyle Rouse no longer around. So it, it's just a combo. You need to find a couple young guys that um, take to the AHL game, and you need these guys that you brought in to be your veterans to step up and provide some goal scoring. On the other side of that, Kevin, I think a guy who really had helped this club through some tough times over the last couple of seasons, where you weren't expecting a lot of goals, but you were expecting him to provide a lot of leadership, a Cody McLeod, not with the club this year. Um, a lot of NHL experience, a, a guy Tim Army had come to lean on to be that voice for him in the locker room that would help this team when they were struggling. Who, I, I, this is the spot I think that might be missing on this club is that veteran guy that they can depend upon to rally them when th things aren't going well. And that's what we talked about too with the the whole um, finding your your team identity. You know, Mason Shaw got elected captain, but he's only played uh, two of the four games for Iowa thus far. So you got to find it's going to have to be somebody else stepping up and providing the leadership. Maybe when Dakota Mermis gets back, maybe he's going to be that guy. It's hard to say. Well, let's jump down to the ECHL club. The Iowa Heartlanders had the unfortunate draw of, of the Idaho Steelheads coming to town who were going to come in with a big chip on their shoulder after not making the playoffs for the first time and I think the 23-year history of this club. I think it's 23 years. I know that's the first time they didn't make the playoffs, but uh, they took it on the chin over the weekend, Kevin, and Hunter Jones, tough night on Friday night, looked better on Saturday, but um, Idaho sure kind of put brought the lumber out on this one. Go figure that the team that the Heartlanders would be facing in their home opener was also the would be the Texas Stars ECHL team. I mean, they just can't get away from this organization on the minor league level. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth out there. Well, let's talk about Friday night, Kevin. So, 6-2 victory for Idaho, who scores three goals uh, to start this contest, uh, takes a 4-1 to one lead coming out of the first. And the first period was this, the the entire topic of the of this series. They 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 give up four goals on Saturday night. They give up five goals in the first period on on four goals on Friday night. Excuse me, five goals on Saturday night in the first period, and. Idaho came out on all four cylinders, and I, I think if you're looking, if you're the uh, Iowa Heartlanders staff, you're saying, 
you know, we we got to have a better wake up call to this because we're letting teams beat us early. And that's just a matter of um, the players being ready to go once once that puck drops. Obviously, there was something missing in both of the first periods over the weekend where they just did not come ready to play. Obviously, a power play goal um, for I- Idaho in the first period of. Um, Friday night's game, I believe that they added two more power play goals on Saturday. Uh, again, Idaho is a great team. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from them in any way and, uh, and, and make this like, well, you, you got beaten by, you know, the, the bottom team in the, in the league or something like that. But um, the, power, the penalty killing did not look very good for Idaho over the weekend. They go uh, for Iowa over the weekend. They go 0 for 5 on the power play on uh, Saturday night, which could have been an opportunity for them to get back in the game. Five power play opportunities, and you come away with nothing out of it. They were on on Friday 1 for 4, so 1 for 9 coming out of the weekend. Um, special teams is obviously a big issue for this team, and, and that's where you win and lose a lot of games, Kevin. And right now I think that's an area where this team's going to have to make some improvements. I think much like the AHL team, I, the Heartlanders are also very young, and they've had a lot of turnover from last year. So it could be a process much like last year where the guys are just going to have to get used to playing as a team. And stuff like special teams could take a while to get established. Now, you talked about this with the Iowa Wild. Uh, the loss of Chris Bennett, who decided to go over to Europe, is a huge hole for, the, for this offense. Uh, they got a couple of goals out of Jake Smith on, on Saturday night. He was a, the second leading scorer on the team last year. So th- they know he's going to be a, a big offensive production producer for this team. But I think as we're watching Iowa this season, we're going to be looking for that guy who can come up to be a 20-25 goal scorer to take some of the burden off of Smith and fill some of that gap for Bennett. And the question is who will wind up filling that spot for them this year. It could be somebody not even on the roster right now. It sounds like um... – from what you hear down Iowa, that the the Heartlanders might not even be done building the roster yet. They could be looking around for some reinforcements. Now, you talk about the backup goaltender for the Minnesota Wild, um, maybe not being the answer for the club up there. C.J. Mott, who has a, a been a, a, an experienced guy in the ECHL, but boy, he sure took it on the chin on on Saturday, giving up four goals and eight shots. That allowed Hunter Jones to come in, and he blanked them for the remaining 18 shots of the game. He looked very good in this contest after a tough Friday night. Jones is a guy I think they're leaning on, Kevin. He's he's got to turn things around and really show what we saw at the second half of two seasons ago with the Iowa Wild. I think this is a make-or-break year for him. When you think about it, the guy was a second-round pick. Granted, he still is very young. We got to remember that. But at some point, it's um, he's going to have to do something to make the organization notice him and feel like he is part of the future plans. Well, this is a big weekend for this club. Uh, last season, the ECHL did something that was quite unusual from previous years, and that was the three games in three different cities on three consecutive nights. Uh, usually it was you went to it, you traveled to a Kalamazoo and you'd play three games there. Or you might play two of three games there at least. But Friday night in Kalamazoo, then on to Cincinnati on Saturday before finishing off in Wheeling, not only three different cities, but three different states, and then coming home. And you, all of those games are within, uh, what, 42 hours of each other. So it's going to be a little bit of a weary team. Um, what are you expecting out of the Heartlanders, and what do they need to do to get in this win column, Kevin? Survive. <laughs> After uh, <laughs> I saw the schedule, and I'm like, wow, that is uh, that is uh, going to be quite a difficult weekend. You talk about um, trying to battle not having bus legs. That's going to be a real issue for this team, but I think it's going to have to be a game where your goaltending is going to have to be top-notch. It sounds like um, C.J. Mott has a, an injury and will be out for a little bit. Corbin Kispersky is still 
on the injured list. He is healthy, but he's got to be out for so many days. So they signed a goalie that was some O'Brien that played one game earlier this year, but I think it's going to have to be Hunter Jones showing that he is a true second-round draft pick, and he's going to have to have a game where he stops like 36 out of 38 shots, and you hope the offense can put three goals together and give him a win. You know, it's one of those things you talk about in the playoffs, Kevin, where you expect your goaltender to steal a game for you, and and I feel like Jones needs to to just be otherworldly here and give them at least two just supernatural appearances. I don't mean to be overly dramatic about it, but they they need him to really come up big for them. And he's shown he's got the mentality. He's a tough kid. Uh, you know, he wants to go out there and win games. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what has gone on in his head at this particular point, but he's got the skill. Like I said, the second second round pick. So. If they're looking to lean on somebody, you got to feel pretty good about who you're leaning on right now. And it's hard to say. I didn't watch either one of the games, so I don't know what the if there were defensive breakdowns that led to the goals, or if it was just um, a shooter just beating him clean. So without seeing the game itself, I really don't want to pass any sort of judgment on Jones. But and I mean, the numbers are the numbers, and like I've probably have said several times in this show, the good goalie makes every save he's supposed to make and a few that he's not. Well, Kevin, that looks to wrap us through here for this week. Um, all these clubs are, are looking to try to get back on the right pathway and get on some good pathway here. It's a, a tough time out of it. As you look at the three clubs, who's the one do you think that has the best chance of having a real good week? I think the third club, it, they're it's going to be four games on the road this week, but it's Montreal, it's Ottawa, Detroit, who's playing better, and then a final game in Chicago, in which I will be at. And, you know, normally they say the last game of the road trip, you can almost count that as a loss, but in studying the Blackhawks schedule, Blackhawks will, and Minnesota both will be playing their third game in four nights, so they'll be on equal footing there with Chicago flying in from Buffalo after a game on Saturday night and the Wild coming down from Detroit. So I can see Minnesota, if they find their identity, get back to the way they know how to play it, I can see them getting three out of, three out of four on the road this week. So in a Halloween-themed comment, Kevin looking for the Minnesota Wild to give us a treat this week. So let's hope that's no the case. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure.